competitive 40K network presents Art of War. Strategy and tactics. Discussions with the best players on the planet. And now your host, Tim Penny and the Art of War coaches. Hello and welcome to the Art of War podcast. I'm your returning host, Tim Penny or Tom Pony, as I'm known in some circles. I'm joined by the formidable, the stoic John Lennon. Welcome, John. Hello, hello. And joining us today is uh, Tim Boutte, uh, a man of uh, class, I must say. His parents obviously have uh, excellent taste in names. And uh, he's with us today because he actually just took down the Rage GT out of Reno, Nevada with New Sisters. Very exciting. Uh, Tim, welcome aboard. Uh, thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. We are super excited to have you here and uh, kind of dive into uh, into your list and uh, and uh, the event and how you did. So well, without further ado, how about you uh, tell us about your list, what's in it, and uh, what makes it tick? Okay, so uh, I started off with a battalion of Argent Shroud, and that's going to just have the Canoness with a the Emperor's Grace Miracle Blessing um, Celestine's in there. She's obviously the Warlord with Indomitable Belief. Uh, three sister squads with multi-meltas in each one. Uh, then the Dogmata, and she has the relic, the sigil of Ecclesi- Ar- Ecclesiastes. I don't know how to say that properly, probably. Um, so she has Warham, uh, as well as Catechism of Repug- uh, Repugnance and um, Refrain of Blazing Piety. Then I have a Dominion squad uh, with the four uh, Artificer-crafted Stormbolters, Seraphim with four Hand Flamers, and a Retributor squad with Multi-Meltas. I then have a Patrol of Bloody Rose with a... Oh, there's a Rhino in the 1st Battalion. Then I have a Patrol of Bloody Rose that's got the Repentia Superior, a Canoness with a Null Rod and Inferno Pistol, as well as another Blessing, uh, which is the Word of the Emperor Blessing, um, a Barebones uh, Battle Sister Squad. Then I have the Celestian Sacrosaints. They have the Maces as well as the Upgraded Superior with the Spear of the Faithful, Nine Repentia, a squad of uh, six Zephyrim, and then two Mortifier squads, each one with an Anchorite. They have the Heavy Bolters and Penitent Flails, and that's followed and ended with another Rhino as well. All right, well, uh, yeah, it sounds like a, a lot of stuff. It really kind of leans into the uh, the MSU list that we've seen be successful in 9th edition. Uh, we're going to talk about, uh, I guess, the synergies and kind of how you arrived at your list. Uh, if anything, if you could just kind of give us the uh, superhero origin story of your list uh, and then kind of evolutions you went to. Especially, uh, not everyone knows really what the new some of the new stuff does. Like Repentia, Zephyrin, we all know what that does. Bloody Rose, everyone knows what that does. But uh, Argent Shroud, you know, like Celestine, someone we haven't seen in a while. Why don't you go ahead and walk us through um, like your practice games and how you kind of arrived to this, and especially the new stuff and the synergies and your thought process. Okay, so I in previous like eighth edition, I've been running Celestine almost in all my lists. Uh, I've pretty much liked her like right from the get go, um, not just as a buffing unit, but I've actually used her mainly as like an assassinating uh, unit for the most part. Um, but honestly, 
only having about like uh, I went to ACO and then showed up at the Rage DT two weeks. So I had about a week and a half to actually build a list. Um, so I pretty much went with what I already had and was comfortable running with a couple of upgrades here and there. Um, I know for a fact that like looking at Argent Shroud, uh, which is you can move and count as stationary during the shooting phase. Uh, which means that all those multi-meltas in the sister squads, uh, I can move, advance, and shoot them without any uh, minus pel- penalty, as well as the fact that uh, Argent Shroud allows you to re-roll at least uh, one hit roll or one w- wound roll, so they're sort of similar as uh, Salamanders in that. Um, and that just makes the multi-meltas hyper-efficient hyper at killing uh targets i'm gonna say a lot during this i know this um so there's that uh the dominion squad that's in there is pretty much uh in there so i can uh pre-game move the rhino as well as the retributor squad with it uh which means that not only am i getting a six inch movement right out the gate uh from my deployment zone but i'm also uh like getting piling out of the rhino three inches moving six advancing another six and having as many like fire lanes as possible to actually have the retributors uh get a clear target on whatever they need to actually take out in the first turn um the dominions also have enough movement to typically get uh into the 12 inch rapid fire range in which case um I can use the strat, which is one CP. It's called Blessed Bolts. And that allows me to have sixes to hit, uh, do two mortal wounds. Um, so I primarily use those guys as also like the alpha strike to hit. Um, in, in this GT, it was a lot of Terminators and a lot of Terminators or people with Storm Shields that have the two-up saves. Um, the... The mortifiers, I know a lot of people haven't been really taking them as much, but they're very, very good. Um, I would say just like shooting platforms that I just use to actually sit in the back and pick off like small units or anything like that. And um, I'll also talk about the the blessings on both the cannonesses because those are huge. So the cannoness. In the Argent Shroud Blessing, uh, Argent Shroud has the Emperor's Grace, which allows her to heal D3 every single turn during my command phase, as well as when I use a Miracle Dice, depending on the value of that Miracle Dice, I have a aura that allows uh, no rerolls to be taken against units, my units that are within that aura. So if I think that someone's actually going to make a huge push um, into my field or actually has enough shooting potential with enough re-rolls, it's, uh, I will actually bunch up as much of the sister squads um, as possible around that cannoness and pop that so they lose efficiency in shooting my, um, my sister squads. And the other one that's attached to the Bloody Rose is... Hands down, I don't think I'll ever make another list without probably putting that in it, especially if I'm using Bloody Rose. It's the word of the emperor, I'm pretty sure. 
And what this allows that canoness to do is um, in my command phase, uh, she at all times uh, within three inches, she can pick someone to fight last, an enemy unit to fight last. But also if I burn a miracle dice, um, enemy units within that miracle dice's range, if it's uh, one on the miracle dice, it's only within one inch. If it's two to five, it's three inches. If it's a six, it's a six six inch aura. And enemy units that are within that aura do not get invulnerable saves. Um, So she typically hangs out with the Sacrosaints that um, actually body block her. So she can't be targeted by anything um, at range until I need to actually make a charge uh, charge or a push with her, in which case in my command phase, I'll burn a miracle dice, have her move up with the Sacrosaints, and then um, she'll charge. She can't be overwatched, since she can't be targeted by um, ranged, uh, ranged attacks when she's within three inch, inches of the Sacrosaints. And then I'll typically use the miracle dice from uh, the Miracle Dice pool to make sure that the Sacrosaints go in and then she chooses the unit to fight last and they get no invul. And the Sacrosaints just get to fight as much as possible um, and do do the work that they do. Um, awesome. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, honestly, that is there's a lot of really cool stuff in the Sisters Codex. So you know, thanks for uh, bringing that down. Um, I guess my my first question, you know, just kind of um, there, there's so many cool tech pieces in here. I think one of the things I love about Sisters, especially this new codex, is that it feels like an even broader toolbox than what we had available. Um, I did actually have a couple questions. Um, the first one is uh, more about you. Uh, were you playing Sisters, I'm guessing, before the uh, new codex came out? So were you like ready and primed or is this an army that you jumped on with the new codex? Uh, I've been playing Sisters for probably about nine months. Um no, actually, probably about over a year now. I went to GT uh, in Utah and got my, I got the crap kicked out of me by another Sisters player and uh, immediately jumped onto Sisters right after that GT. Was so, that Jordan? Uh, that was Jordan Glenn. <laughs> yes. All right. Yeah, I know, I know. I know Jordan. Jordan's my boy. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, so I've been playing Sisters for about, uh, a year now and have absolutely loved the codex and how it's functioned. Um, I do agree with you that they have a lot more tools. And so switching over, there's a lot more rules that I had to memorize and stuff, but um, I pretty much designed the list to have a tool for anything that w- I would need. So I pretty much went, went with like almost a scatter shot instead of like, this is what the d- list is designed to do. Because honestly, I was sitting there looking, I'm like, all these units are good. All of them have a specific target that they want to hit. I'm going to take all of them and see what I can do with it. And uh, it it worked out quite well. (laughs) All right. Fantastic. I love that approach. Um, Just uh, obviously, you know, one of the, the strengths here is that it is a toolbox, so it gets to change what it's doing. Do you have any kind of like default basic game plan going into a match like with the army? Is it like purely reactive or do you, do you kind of have like a plan A that you'll change as necessary? Um, typically like plan A is no matter what, putting the Dominion squad in with the Retributor squad. I think there was one game where I put in a sister squad instead because there wasn't really a good target for the multi-meltas. 
Um, but for, or it was a really close deployment zone where I could get line of sight with the multi meltas where they didn't need to be in the rhino. Um, but for the most part, it's Dominions and the multi-melta uh, retributors in the Rhino that get the pre-game move. They're the Alpha Strike and also like almost the, I would call them bait units almost. Because since um, since the Sacrosaints are on foot and all the characters sort of have to be balled up around the Sacrosaints or at least the Smash Cannon or the uh, Bloody Rose, she's no longer a Smash Cannon as... Uh, the Bloody Rose Cannonist has to be near them. They're a much, much slower unit. So for the most part, I would try to put the Retributors and the Dominions out sort of near midfield to try to get my opponent to come towards the midfield, in which case it made the charge distance and knowing when to come in and crush the like the midfield a lot easier. All right. Well, I mean, that definitely sounds like a pretty good game plan. Uh, shoot them so they move closer. Uh, John, I think you've uh, definitely talked about that philosophy a bunch. Uh, what <laughs> I'm curious about is, uh, and this kind of ties into your plan A, uh, what was your uh, what was your generic uh, secondary game plan? Going on? I'm, I'm sure you didn't go in blind. Uh, did you take any of those new secondaries in the book? Or uh, what did it look like generically before you even thought about matchups? Um, what, when you're building the list of mom, what did you think you were going to be taking for secondaries? Um, typically it was always in between, depending on how many, uh, objectives there are, there's uh, raised banners as well as, uh, the new, uh, scramblers. I don't, I just call it rod. I'm not going to say the long, long name. So I'm just going to call it rod because the seraphim are there. It's typically pretty easy to get at least rod in, uh, two of the quadrants and then the seraphim are there and then. If I needed to take that, I would also spend the one CP to put the Battle Sister, the Bloody Rose Battle Sister squad, the Bare Bones one, into Strategic Reserve to try to get the fourth quadrant. Um, and then uh, what I found to be really, really successful with this list was actually Stranglehold, which um, for the most part, I was used to taking um, engaging all fronts, but this list doesn't have as many fast units. Um, and typically those fast units that do get pushed up die quite quickly. Um, so um, because it sort of works in a blob and because um, a lot of it is centered around character buffs as well as the characters themselves, I was uh, taking Stranglehold a lot more and actually doing fairly well because it seemed pretty easy to um, hold three and then either shoot uh, shoot someone off or send the Zephyrim in or the Repension to clear off the fourth objective. All right. Well, yeah, okay, that like sounds, uh, yeah, it sounds great to me. Um, what did you find yourself? Uh, did you have a, a, I guess a scripted uh, CP budget going into every single game or like, were there certain stratagems you knew you were going to use almost every single game, like blessed bolts or something like that? Talk us through uh, your CP budget. Yeah, so for CP budget, I always knew that I was going to use Blessed Bolts. I typically tried to save two CP for either Defenders of the Faith or to res uh, a character, typically the Canonist with the fights last if she ever um, ended up dying, and as well as like holding off uh, Miracle Dice specifically for her. Uh, some of the other strats that I used were... Um, 
the max flamer shots as well as shooting with the seraphim coming down so that's a cp investment of three right there it's uh one or one to uh shoot with the seraphim that drop in and then two to max out the hand flamer shots when they come in um typically i only did that when i really needed to clear uh clear screens like in um, my Death Guard matchup, the guy was running 60, 60 Pox Walkers, which is just a lot of bodies to try to choose through to try to get into like where his characters were. Um, and so that's when I would pop that strat. So um, Defenders of the Faith is pretty important just to make one unit a little bit harder to kill. And maybe they overextend and have to uh, invest a lot more into killing that unit. And therefore, they have a lot more that's out in the open for me to react to and try to remove. Did you uh, did you find that Defenders of the Faith, and correct me if I'm wrong, Defenders of the Faith is where you pick a Battle Sister squad and they get uh, transhuman essentially for 2 CP? But then they yep. also get a uh, max range of rapid fire. Um, yep. Correct me if I'm wrong. Was the, the largest battle sister squad in your list was five, right? Yes. Okay. So I know we, we've seen people talk about taking this on like a big blob unit. Uh, on the smaller five girls, did you find that it was still worthwhile? Like, and it, it was really making your opponent commit a little more? Uh, a little bit more. Or sometimes I found out that like one, the superior would actually survive. So um, instead of sending in like their their hard hitting unit, a lot of the times they would send in a character. Um, there were a couple of games where I took assassinate, uh, in which case they would send in as a character to try to take that point from me and it didn't end up working out for them. OK, well, I mean, we all know how big of a sweet can be to have one model alive. Uh, that's interesting that, that you found it useful in the smaller squads. I. Honestly, no, I, I think everyone kind of jumped to those 20-girl blobs immediately. But, I mean, frankly, even if you don't take them, uh, that stratagem is still there. So when that comes up, uh, that's that's going to be a big deal for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I could totally see uh, even with five sisters um, just slipping in a, uh, a miracle dice on a uh, save or an invuln. Um, and then that transhuman, I could really, especially if they're toed in the cover, I could see that causing some real consternation. Um, what did... What I'm really curious on, especially because we're so new in the book, and I know there's no way that you've tested all the new toys. Uh, what is what have previous versions of your list look like, and what didn't make the cut? And where do you think you're going uh, going to next? Did anything uh, not impress you after five rounds at the GT? Um, so uh, the two mortifier squads, unfortunately, did not impress me um, as much as I would have hoped for. I think. Um, Maybe it was mainly because of my matchups. I did face super duper durable or super duper aggressive armies um, that weren't so durable. So um, I had a matchup into Death Guard as well as a matchup into Nurgle. And then the Space Wolves and Death Watch uh, matchup that I had, almost every single unit had some sort of Terminator or some sort of Storm Shield. So the Heavy Bolters that are attached to the um, mortifiers did not do as much work as I was hoping for. So um, I'm looking at probably dropping uh, dropping one squad of those. The uh, Repentia also are in question for me, just because in order for them to do as much damage as they did in the 8th edition codex, they have to be 
babysat by the Repentia Superior, which, um, like, it just feels bad when the Repentia are gone and now there's a lone character just sort of sitting by herself and uh, waiting to be picked off, especially since Assassinate is typically a pretty good secondary to take against my list because I have seven characters in my list. So um, I'm thinking about actually dropping the Repentia and swapping them out for something as well. And um, like, uh, to be honest, like this was a very, very similar list that I was running in eighth edition. Um, the only changes that are made that I made were literally based on like, what could I build and paint realistically in about a week? Because I had about a week to prep for this GT. That is, uh, I'm pretty impressed with how many sacristans you have on your list, uh, based on that information you just told me. Yeah, um, I still don't have that many sacristans painted. Yeah, I'm still, working, I'm still working on mine. They're not well painted, I can tell you that, but they're painted. Painted counts. Yep. Um, Mike, actually, uh, speaking of, you know, prep time for the GT and only having a week, how many practice games uh, were you able to get in before uh, before the GT? Uh, I got in two practice games before showing up to the GT. Okay. Was it with this exact same list, or did you have time to make any changes based on that? Uh, it was pretty much with this exact same list. I think I was debating. I took one practice game with the hollowed maces, and then I took another practice game where I had the sacrosaints with the uh, halberts, the one damage but higher strength and higher AP halberts. Um, and then I was debating on whether to actually put on the Emperor's Grace onto the uh, Canonist and the Argent Shroud detachment as well. Okay. All right. Man, two practice games and then dropping a GT win. That is that is impressive right that there. Is, that is a flex. That is a flex and yeah. a half. So, <laughs> so I guess we'll go a little bit like uh, broader. How do you how do you feel about the uh, the new sisters book compared to the old? I know John and I we have we have our thoughts, but this episode is about you. Uh, there's been a lot of uh, mixed talk, and I also think people have kind of been conditioned a little bit by the the recent releases of the uh, Dark Elder and Admech books. Uh, how do you feel about um, coming from the last book to this one? Um, I'm actually pretty happy with it. Um, I wouldn't say pretty happy. I'm ecstatic about this book. Uh, I think it actually has enough tools in the book that no matter like how the meta changes or what pops up, it has an answer to it. It might not be like the strongest answer, like Admech and Drukari are just like they're super duper strong uh, into some some other armies. But I feel like um, with the book that the sisters got, they have an answer for everything. It's just really, really hard to put every single one of those answers into a list because actually I think it's impossible to do that. They have a lot of stuff in here that I want to take, but I'm not able to take. So, but I feel like the, the book has a lot of depth and um, it feels really, really good on the table. So I'm pretty happy with it. And yeah, I don't really have any complaints. Honestly, I, as soon as they gave us uh um, one of the blessings to to have a unit fight last. I was pretty happy with that. And honestly, that's pretty much all I really wanted out of the sisters' codex. Everything else was a bonus. Yeah, the getting getting interrupted on is definitely. I would say that was definitely the sisters' Achilles' heel for a long time. Um, how do you feel about the? 
how do you feel about Arden Stroud? Do you think a, a new list, you might try some of the other uh, chapter tactics or the, I'm sorry, order convictions, or you think you're going to stick with uh, Arden Stroud for a while? I think I'm going to stick with Arjun Shroud for a while. Um, I cannot. Um, I'm just going to say, like, I can't. I think it was about four characters. I want to say about four characters. I popped four characters during the to- tournament with a random multi melta from an Arjun Shroud unit. And um, honestly, that just feels really good. So I'm going to continue to do that because um, the mobility. Uh, the fact that like most most of my sisters are on foot besides like Celestine and then whatever is placed in the rhinos, um, Argent Shroud lets me make up for it and allows me a little bit more uh, flexibility with the list on like how I need to react to what's coming in. All right. Awesome. Um, I actually did kind of want to dial back a little bit. I know we already talked about secondaries, but uh, I realized that we didn't actually mention any of these sisters specific secondaries. Did you find that any of those were uh, useful in your games, or were you sticking with the rule book? Uh, I'm more comfortable with the rule book, uh, and in my practice games, I didn't take any sister secondaries, so I did not try any of them out. Um, I just wanted to try with what uh, I had previously practiced and what I previously knew. So um, I did not get risky during the tournament for secondaries. See, now that's a flex right there. Tim and I had been talking about how much we were looking forward to getting uh, Codex Secondaries with a real ninth edition book, and uh, you didn't even need them. Um, I guess my next question would be, um, I kind of wanted to hone in a little bit on um, the relics that you took. Um, did you did you have any, you know, after the tournament's over, did you have any second thoughts about the relics? I know um, after, a little bit of, uh, after a little bit of testing, one that we really wanted to add was uh, Litanies of Faith to get that that reroll on a miracle dice per turn or per battle round, even though the relic got worse, how clutch was that for you? Did that come up a lot? Um, that reroll came up almost every single game. Um, I pretty much uh, I would always reroll a three if that popped up on a miracle dice. I would try to reroll that and um, either get a one or what I'm like really searching for is five sixes and ones and possibly twos for. Um, for uh, for morale, for morale at the end of the phase, and um, so I pretty much that came up. I would probably reroll a miracle dice twice per game, so two t- two turns out of the game. Um, maybe a possibly a possibly a third. Okay, but it was useful every game. That's good. Yeah, I was wondering that because I actually haven't had the chance to to test that relic out myself, but it was one that I was missing in some of my practice games. So I'm, I'm happy to hear that it's useful for you because it's definitely going to be in the future for me. Um, I know you also mentioned that you were pretty happy with your your Argent Shroud and Bloody Rose combo. Uh, were there any orders that you were at all looking at when you were writing your list or was it immediately these are the two for you? Uh, immediately these are the two for me. Um, like I said, um, we lost the ability in the eighth edition codex to go to 36 inches and plus one damage with the multi meltas, but gained the ability to actually have like little tiny pockets of damage with multi meltas that are still just as mobile. And um, them being in the tank with the dominions means that like they still have a threat, a threat range from if, uh, if I get to go First in a match, the tank moves or the rhino moves six. They hop out three 
move six and advance six and still get to fire. So they still have like in between, I think, a 30 to 36 inch threat range uh, starting turn one. Um, and if I don't get to go first, I get to be a little bit more defenses, defensive with them. But they still have um, a lot more movement, um, which opens up a lot more fire lanes. So, yeah, I think uh, looking at just Argent Shroud for the hyper-efficient multi-meltas, as well as the movement, um, was an immediate standout for me. Okay. Um here, here's one big question I have. I know that you mentioned that you kind of wrote the list with what you could get painted uh, in mind. However, let's say that you actually have uh, enough time to finish painting everything else. Uh, Morvin Vall, is she going to sneak her way in? Was she omitted because of paint restrictions or were you thinking you didn't need the big lady? Uh, I'm definitely thinking of trying out a list. Uh, I somehow want to figure out a list with Morvin Vall and uh celestine in it it's a lot of points uh sank into two characters whereas uh i feel like sisters do really well with just having a a ton of units on the board um but i am going to try to fit a list in with morvan ball and celestine and uh i'll probably be testing out that list um this weekend we have an rtt here so i'll probably be taking that list to more uh to the rtt Okay, fantastic. I'm excited to hear about it. Were there any other units that, with a little bit of time to paint, you were maybe thinking of including? I know you mentioned that you were thinking of, you know, perhaps dropping the Repentia, perhaps dropping the uh, the Mortifiers. Did you have any concrete ideas on what you were going to put in instead? Um, probably another Dominion squad as, a, as well as another Retributor squad. Um, okay. And then and a Rhino to carry them, or do you think you're good with two? I'm, I think I'm good with two. Uh, that means that the Retributor and the other Dominion squad can be a little bit more reactionary to whatever comes towards the midfield to take uh, objectives. Okay, that makes sense. Honestly, I found that as soon as you empty out a Rhino, an empty Rhino gets ignored, and mm-hmm. then that just gives you the opportunity to put something else in it, and then it's useful again. Yep. Yep, that right, is very true. All right, fantastic there. Um, Let's see. Tim, did you have any other uh, questions or uh, comments or, I guess, inquiries here? Yeah, I was looking at the uh, the Dogmata, actually, and uh, I was I was just noticing, because you didn't take the brick, um, but I saw Catechism or Repugnance, uh, which I believe is the one that boosts your uh, your firing. Did you find a lot of usage out of that, or was there was that a particular tech piece for something, or did you just kind of you know throw it in there? Or what, what was your thinking behind that one? I thought it would have been good on Dominions. Um... But the Dominions almost always died turn one or turn two. And the Dogmata is more of like uh, she's uh, sat back uh, with the surrounded by the Argent Shroud um, battle sisters. So I actually did not use that um, that litany or that hem from her. I pretty much always use the war hem as well as like the one that's the random smite. That's within 12 inches. Okay. Just a good little support character. Chip out a couple mortal wounds. Mm-hmm. I'd actually been uh, honestly thinking about putting an Inquisitor in to uh, try to really uh, stack up on that just to get a little bit of an unexpected punch from his sister's army. Because, you know, at least, you know, right now that, that may change soon, but at least right now it feels like people don't associate sisters with mortals. Yeah. So getting a couple cheeky little things in there uh, 
is uh, going to be quite useful, I expect. Yeah. And uh, I forgot to mention this about the CP, but I did use the um, Repentia Strike on Death uh, stratagem as well, because there was a couple of times where Repentia would go in and tag a unit, kill it, and then immediately get countercharged. And um, also the plus one to wound with the Xerophim is also a really good strat to have in the back pocket for an alpha strike, just in case they have like infiltrators. Um, I would send the Zephyrim up to clear off that objective and pretty much always use the plus one to wound during that instance. All right. Okay. Well, yeah, yeah, it looks good. Um, I was looking through some of the pictures um, of the event and I saw the, the terrain was actually was pretty nice. It looked like a lot of little like hidey holes that uh, you could kind of put your forces uh, kind of walk us through, I guess, generically when you're walking up to each table um, without getting into the matchups, uh, obviously, what was your uh, general game plan, game plan for uh, deployment, uh, especially planning on like if you're going first or going second, that kind of thing. Um, so the game plan is always uh, to look like, uh, to look for where the Dominion squad and the Rhino is going to go, um, what type of fire lane, uh, firing lanes there, there are, as well as like where I need to actually position Celestine, uh, the Bloody Rose Cannon, as, as well as the Sacrosaints. Um, and then typically, uh, if it was a longboard deployment, uh, so like, um, I would try to figure out like how I wanted to actually split the forces. Typically what ended up happening is like Repentia as well as uh, the Ze Zephyrum. And then one or two squads of battle sisters would be on one, so one side. The mortifiers would be um, placed in uh, places that they could get to, to have uh, the best fire lanes for the midfield objectives um, to later on pressure them. If they were still around with like melee threats and then the other side would be the stack of characters um, as well as another um, Argent Shroud Battle Sister Company and the Sacrosaints, as well as like the Dominions and Retributors. Okay, I like it. Um, how, how much uh, did you find that a uh, terrain was like a, a really big factor for you where like... Um... I guess I guess the army was like taking advantage of terrain. Uh, I actually haven't seen the pictures that uh, that Tim is describing here, so I don't know how heavy exactly the event was. But uh, did you feel like you you know benefited? Were there any tables that made you a little nervous? I guess what kind of terrain were you hoping for every time you got paired? Um, I was pretty happy with the terrain on pretty much every single table that I got to. No matter what, there were uh, line, uh, like obscuring L's that were on pretty much every single table. Some of them did have like windows in the bottom and some of them did not. Um, I got lucky on, I think about four, four of the tables that I were, I was on um, the L's uh, blocked line of sight. So it was pretty easy to hop around and like go through the L's to actually make counter charges. There was also quite a bit of like, um, uh, basically what was counted as force for the minus one shooting. So um, it was pretty easy to tiptoe at least the mortifiers as well as the uh, retributors and dominions into minus one to be hit train, but still allowing them to actually shoot at like uh, full effectiveness into other places. So the terrain definitely had a huge part in um, how 
the sisters were actually deployed and also like how I, how well I did at the tournament. Um, because the direct, the terrain definitely helped out where it didn't really feel like a lot of things were like left out in the open. So I definitely appreciated, um, how the terrain was set up and how the terrain was handled. And it also made for a lot more like interactive games where, um, I had to actually like make decisions on where I was actually placing my models and how I wanted to get around the board because, um, having the minus two to go through the forest definitely did affect some of the games that I was in. Okay. Um, did you find that you were able to, you know, between the rhinos and everything else, were you able to kind of get the army into a very small footprint where like you were just able to to hide everything frequently or, um, was there ever anything just like kind of hanging out in the wind because you just ran out of space? Um, the mortifiers were typically the things that I would hang out sort of in open space. I would try to make sure that they, um, they would have the minus one to be hit if they were ever targeted. And for the other part, um, the Celestine as well as the Bloody Rose Cannonist could be actually like placed a little bit out um, as long as they were three within three inches of the Sacrosaints. So the Sacrosaints would typically be, be behind the L and then Celestine and a Cannonist would sort of be in front of the wall but couldn't be targeted um, because of the Celestian Sacrosaints. I do love that bodyguard role. Mm-hmm. It's amazing. It came up every single game. <laughs> All right. Well, um, we did talk about uh, your unit choices and potential future unit choices, both shooting and melee. And we did talk about also the possibility of getting uh, Morgan in a list. Is there any other uh, support characters that maybe you thought about running, like uh, like the Hospitaller or, or something like that? Or have you thought about any of the bigger centerpiece models, uh, such as uh, Stern? Uh, and her elf uh, friend, or the uh, even the Triumph. I know Triumph got more expensive, um, but have you considered running any of those for a different style? Uh, not so far. There is a list that has that I've created with a Hospitaller in it, um, and then giving her the Indomitable Belief uh, Warlord trait, and because uh, she's not... Um, I forget what they use for the term... Because it's in order. Sanctified. Sanctified. Yeah, she's sanctified. She's sanctified. So she allows um, pretty much all of them to actually get plus one to their shield of faith, um, no matter what order. So I've I've been messing around with her and then as well as giving her a relic, the Book of St. Lucius. So it's a nine inch aura. Um, And then I know that she has a strat that she can res. D3, uh, Adeptus Sororitas Battle Sisters, um, back. So I am messing around with the list with, uh, the Hospitaler, uh, Hospitaler in it, um, to try that out. All right. Awesome. I've actually, I've been kind of hoping to test her out myself. So, uh, I'm very excited to hear how she works for you. All right. Well, I think that just about wraps up everything that I had in mind for, uh, part one of this episode. Real quick for you, Tim, did you have anything uh, you wanted to plug? Any shout-outs you wanted to give while you're on here? Um, Shout-out uh, shout out to my team, War Room Gladiators? That's about it. I don't know. I'm not on any <laughs> podcasts or anything like that. <laughs> all right, no problem at all. Well, uh, we'll be uh, back in part two of this episode. 
where we're going to be joined once again by Tim. And we're going to dive pretty deep into how we're going to, you know, all the different matchups that you can face with the new sisters. We're going to talk about some of the games he played at this tournament, the Rage GT, as well as uh, how he thinks the sisters are going to fare into some of the other big bads of the meta right now. Like what you just listened to? Check out Art of War Down Under, where we break down armies and new rules. Theartofwar40k.com This episode was brought to you by the Competitive 40K Network.